Yeah. <laughs> it can event. Yeah. I'm in the search for peace, at least, and a better spot to settle. My brother said the Americans. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show, Community Spread. I'm your host, Kevin Lundell. We are coming at you today at an irregular time when these podcasts usually drop because we had an event that we felt like we, that was in our community, that we felt like we needed to have our guest, Van Aston who was on an earlier podcast called Understanding Homelessness. If you haven't listened to that, after you've listened to this episode, go back and catch that podcast with Van. It's really important. Van is a really, really smart and impressive person. And he had to go through something this week that really was hard. And that was to see a bunch of people that he cared for and that he has helped some of them over a five-year period, and he's developed trust and relationships with, he had to see them as the city decided to come in and destroy a uh, tent city that had been starting to be built up in front of his clinic there at the the Hope Clinic at the Lantern House, which is a, a shelter. And the city decided to do this, and we're going to go through and we're going to talk about why this was not the best way for this to be done how it went against guidelines from the CDC and how it should have been different. And now we have a bunch of unsheltered individuals dispersed throughout our city on some of the coldest nights of the year. And these are people that fan cares about deeply. These are people that we should care about deeply. And it's very discouraging to see something like this happen. And so you're going to get an inside look at, at at how an expert in this field thinks this could have been different and the way that it should have been handled. So I hope you're going to gain some, some insight. These sorts of things are controversial. The 10 cities exist. It probably one exists in your city, no matter where you're listening to this. And they're complicated. And we understand there's nuances to these conversations, but we should be as a city, looking to the guidelines that are given to us from the CDC, that are given to us from the experts, we shouldn't have our government leaders shooting from the hip and doing things on their own accord because probably somebody called and complained. We can do better. And so we're going to get an opportunity to learn from Van. Thank you guys for listening. As always, smash that subscribe button. Send this episode to a friend. Send this to a friend that lives in Ogden because they need to know what happened and they need to know they should, that they should be reaching out and, and expressing their frustration to their community leaders about how this was handled. So now we will be on to our conversation with Van Aston. Look how far we don't came, we made it to this land to surprise. Though the prophecy says we all been to a brass. Spread the word, let it be known the heaven set to survive. Right here, live in the flesh. Well, hey everybody, we have our first returning champion back to Community Spread here. Van Aston is here with us today to talk about some recent events that have happened to those experiencing homelessness in our community of Ogden. Van, how are you today? I hate to have you back on, uh, you know, some, some tough circumstances, but how are you? How are you doing? Uh, I'm a, a little bit better today than I was on Thursday um, when we got word of everything that went down. Um, it's kind of eased a little bit now that I've processed the event, but uh, still pretty, 
um, pretty frustrated with what took place. Let, let's dive right into that. Um, and then we'll go back and tell the listeners exactly what you do, but tell, tell us what, what, what happened, uh, with the city and with those experiencing homelessness on Thursday. So a brief overview is that in the past three months, maybe even longer, um, the city has slowly been allowing um, unsheltered individuals to camp outside the Lantern House on 33rd. Um, They've moved back and forth on different sides of the street, but for, like I said, the last several months, it's been allowed and the tent city has been slowly growing. People have been coming from other areas, including Salt Lake City, um, staying immediately outside of the shelter, uh, accessing services there. Um, and then it got, you know, got pretty big. The city's been coming in once a week and cleaning up. Um, they've brought people in to clean some of the garbage that happens there. And then uh, all of a sudden on Thursday, instead of the routine clean up and, and shifting things around, they brought in a lot of police officers and uh, forced everybody pretty much to leave. They, they told them they had to leave or they had to enter the shelter, uh, but those were their only two choices. And so um, those people immediately got scattered. Um, we don't know where they went. Some did access services within the shelter, but not very many. Uh, but they were, they were forced out of this tent city that had really been allowed to grow by the, the city itself. And so uh, it was a pretty traumatic event for a lot of these folks. Yeah, it, it, it definitely, it definitely was. And I want to go, um, we're going to go back to this event and, and kind of dissect what happened, talk about what could have, how it could have happened differently uh, about what guidelines are in place for encampments like this that come directly from the CDC. But Dan, tell us your connection uh, for those that didn't listen to our podcast with you on understanding homelessness. Tell us what your connection is to uh, the homeless community and how you, uh, how you serve them. Sure. So I've been working um, at Hope Clinic inside the Lantern House for the past five and a half years. Um, I'm a physician assistant with Midtown Community Health Center. I've been employed with them for over seven years now. Uh, we opened the clinic in 2015 at the same time the shelter was opened. We were on the second floor of the clinic. And so I have been providing free medical care for those uh, unsheltered individuals in our community uh, for that entire time. So we've, myself and my staff have spent a lot of time and effort to build relationships of, of trust with uh, some of these folks, and um, it's been it's been a learning experience. And it's been five years of, uh, of good things, and and some good things that we've done for the community. But uh, I do have to say right up front that I do not speak for Midtown Community Health Center. While I am employed by them, I don't speak for them. Um, so that needs to be a little bit of a upfront statement. Yeah, and so over the fat past five years, as you opened. A, a clinic that is designed to help serve uh, the unsheltered individuals that live in Ogden. What has been your experience with trying to build relationships with that community? What's, what are some of the impediments to them coming to seek care from you? Do you experience impediments to them trying to seek care from you? And what have you done to overcome that and build relationships with the unsheltered in our community in Ogden? Sure. So 
the primary issue that we're up against is uh, one of trust. So the majority of these individuals have, have experienced significant trauma throughout their lives, be it from family members, from friends, from um, organized institutions, the government, wherever. They've experienced significant trauma and repeat trauma over and over and over again. And so for them to come somewhere and believe somebody when they say, hey, I'm, in, I'm part of the institution, but I'm here to help, they've heard that before. They've had it backfire on them before. So more often than not, I, I struggle with establishing trust with these individuals. And so it takes a long time uh, to create that trust with somebody who's experienced this kind of trauma. And so there's a number of things that have to take place. Sometimes it's just making sure that we're present and we listen when they have something happen to them or um, making sure they know that we are open for walk-in appointments at any time. You can come in and see us and there's no charge. Uh, when they start to realize that their medications are covered and free and the visits are free, then they start to open up a little bit more. You know, we provide uh, psychiatric services and counseling services and all of these other things. But, you know, this this barrier of trust is a big deal. And uh, one of the other barriers that that we face sometimes is is the location of the shelter or not the shelter, but the clinic inside the shelter. There's a lot of of. Uh, chronically unsheltered individuals that don't trust shelters anymore. Um, and so convincing them to come out from the camps or off the street to enter a shelter to come to our clinic has also been difficult. But again, that's just amount of time and showing that we are there and we're going to consistently be there to help them out. Um, you know, that's that would to me be the, the largest hurdle that we've had to overcome. There are some smaller ones too, you know, um, transportation for some of these folks, uh, how do we help them as they age, uh, resources for them in an emergency situation uh, that we've overcome, but it's that primary one of trust that's been the most difficult. For those of you who, who didn't go back, didn't listen to Understanding Homelessness with our last episode with Van, please go back and listen to that. Van talked about the trauma that a lot of these individuals had faced and he did a really good job in that episode, Van, you did a really good job in that episode of helping bring us to have empathy and to, to, you know, humanize the homelessness experience. And so, you know, and, and speaking of going out and, and, and building trust, I know you personally, and I know that Van has spent time uh, on his bike going uh, up and down like the parkway and finding, um, you know, people who are unsheltered and just going to chat with them and saying, hey, this is me. Uh, I This is where I work. If you need care, doing like, I mean, above and beyond kind of work to try to build that sort of trust. I know your, your staff does those sort of things too, right? Yes, they do. Um, pretty much every day there's built in time into our day where we, we perform what's called outreach, where uh, they go out to whoever's wandering around the shelter and they give them business cards or they talk to them about what they need, ask them if they got their meds. You know, these folks are, they're all familiar faces now. We've been open for a long time and we're starting to, uh, not starting to, we've seen the same folks for a long, long time. And so we know them by name. They know who we are. When we approach them, they've always got some kind of question or something going on. And so we check in with them. So it's at least once a day, sometimes a couple of times a day that my staff performs outreach. Um, it has been a little bit different lately because that the tent city has been getting so big. We're starting to see a lot of faces that we don't recognize 
And so those are individuals that we have to start building that trust with as well. Uh, but the answer to your question is yes, my, my staff does the same thing on a regular basis. So you guys I'm, have put in a lot of work uh, there trying, trying to build that trust so that you can serve uh, the community. Tell me, I think a lot of people, when they heard about what happened, one of their questions is, why are there, there are empty beds inside the Lantern House. Why are people staying on the street in front of the Lantern House? Is there any way you can speak to that? Because I think a lot of people have that question and say, well, yeah, we're going to break this up and we're just going to move them inside. Uh, sure. Tell me why, tell me why, what are the impediments and why are they, why, why have they made that choice? So this stretches back to the beginning of the pandemic back in March, uh, roughly middle of March, we were informed that a, a, an individual that might be staying at the shelter was leaving the hospital with a potential um, diagnosis of COVID-19. <clears throat> and so we had an emergency meeting with the city and several of the uh, uh, service providers within the city, police, fire, uh, health department, all of those things. And we formulated a plan. Um, Interestingly enough, in the following five months, roughly, um, we didn't really see any issues with um, the outbreak. A lot of these unsheltered folks were living outside in the warm months. They were living in small communities, not large ones. Um, and so we didn't see any coronavirus until October. And then all of a sudden we had a massive outbreak. Um, and the entire plan that we had come up with back in March um, got turned on its head without our input, we reached out to our service uh, providers in the city to in initiate or implement the plan that was put forth back in March and nobody responded. We were left on our own. And so- So you, so you started having a problem, uh, you started having co uh, COVID cases hit yeah. um, and, and you had a plan in place yeah. and you, you started, you were like, okay, let's execute the plan. Here we go. And what, hap what happened going forward from there? The city stopped responding. The health department didn't respond for more than a week. Um, by the time we started getting attention uh, from those community partners that we had built this plan with, uh, we had already had several people die uh, from the virus and there were um, at least 50 or more people quarantined inside the shelter. Uh, so they had decided- 50, you have 50 people quarantined like that had the virus or that or or i guess that were exposed or and or had the virus is that right that tested positive 50 people that tested positive inside yeah the shelter yeah easily so um i mean i i'm fudging that number a little bit there's there's more than that but um that should give you an idea so what happened we had planned on initially sending um people out of the shelter if they were positive to um, an offsite location. And then that offsite location was supposed to be staffed by the city and county workers to care for these folks as they recovered from their infection. What ended up happening was that the shelter was turned into a um, quarantine zone. The healthy people were shipped out and the sick people stayed. And so for since mid-October, um, we've had active COVID cases inside the shelter and all of these folks in this community of, of unsheltered individuals know, they know that there's people in there with active COVID cases. They know that there's people that have died in there from COVID. And so um, that's been, that's become a hurdle that we've had to overcome because 
you know, there is a, a, a family wing where these people have been quarantined, and that is actually separate from um, the, the men's and the women's dorms. But the idea of it, if, if you're an individual experiencing homelessness and all you know is that there's virus inside that building, you know, you're not going to be most likely not going to be logically thinking through it and saying, oh, well, it's over there in the one section. I should be safe over here. I mean, if I were them, I wouldn't be thinking that. And so a lot of these folks that were living in the tent city didn't want to come inside. Now, some of them had other reasons for it, too. Some of them, you know, openly said in that standard examiner article that they just didn't want to follow the rules, which, you know, if you're not willing to follow the rules, then you can't be in the shelter. Um, but there's a lot of people that were afraid of going in there. And, and we had a drop in patient care because of that virus, because they know they knew there were sick people in there. And so um, in the setting of a pandemic, this uh, um, this tent city formed because there was a pretty sizable percentage of the population that just didn't want didn't want to go inside where they could be potentially exposed. Now, one of the things I wanted to touch on was just like where where the tent city is. It's on 33rd and Wall. Uh, well, thir- behind 33rd below Wall, Pacific. 33rd and Pacific. Yeah. Right. So. I bet you if you polled 10 people in Ogden, they would not have seen uh, yeah. this, nine this of them, city. Nine of them wouldn't even know where Pacific Avenue is. Right. Um, it, so it really is in kind of a place that's, when I think about it, if if we're looking to have a place, you know, we're not going to just disperse those unsheltered individuals outside of our city. They're not just going to go away, right? Like, like, and, and a place for them where they could be. And what we, if I'm thinking through this, I would want them in a place where the healthcare providers can see and kind of keep an eye on what's going on, where they're close to services such as yours, such as food and, and everything else. So it, to me, a place for a, where a, a, a small tent city to grow like it was it seemed like kind of the right place for it to be. And these exist in many cities around, yeah. uh, around the whole country. Yeah. Uh, and for me, it seemed like a, a decent spot. What, what, what are your thoughts of that? And what would be the, the cities, uh, I guess, if you can think, put yourself in their shoes, what, what would they, why, why did they end up coming in and doing this? Uh, so one of the things that is a constant, um, topic of conversation about tent cities, even outside of a pandemic, is visibility. Uh, Cities don't want tent uh, cities like Ogden don't want a tent city in one of their prime locations where it can be seen by the general public, right? Um, And so one of the um, major motivators, take Salt Lake, for example, there at the Rio Grande, um, right next door to 4th Street Clinic, which was in Salt Lake. That's their, the uh, unsheltered population's primary source of medical care is 4th Street Clinic, and they were all camping there. And so when Operation Rio Grande came through, that primary driver was, was uh, optics. The city of Salt Lake didn't want to have a homeless city where people could see them. And so if we're taking that into context and you, and you bring it back to your comments before about nine out of 10 wouldn't know where Pacific Avenue is, this tent city was out of view. I mean, it's far enough down 33rd, almost to the railroad tracks that even if you walked on Wall Avenue past 33rd and looked down 33rd, you may not even see it. Um, 
So this was completely out of the view, which in my perspective actually might have been something the city would have wanted um, because a lot of times these folks end up camping out in the park in downtown on 25th. Sometimes they end up camping out in the park up on uh, uh, 25th and Jefferson and in various other places it's very visible. While you know the whole visibility thing is a debate we can have another time, you would think that the location of this particular camp in that perspective only, visibility only, that would be a good location for it. And then the other argument in support of this particular location is that they had access to food through the shelter. They had access to services um, through the shelter if you need a, a case manager or if you need other services. They had access to it there and they had access to my staff. So they had medical care right there if they needed it. So all of those things exist right there. And that camp was not visible to the general public. And so as far as I'm concerned, there is not a better place in the city for it, if that makes sense. Definitely. So as far as we know, what happened was four, four or five cop cars roll up on this, this tent city, 33rd and Pacific, uh, cops come out, uh, lights and sirens, and they, you know, th those individuals grab anything they can and, and disperse into the community. Mm -hmm. uh, what, when you found out about this and, and these people that you care about, that you serve, how did you, how did you feel about it? I was pretty angry initially. My response was, was not uh, positive. So um, I have to say I was not present for this. I was over working an urgent care shift at Midtown. Um, so I contacted the provider that I that covers on Thursdays and asked her what was happening. And she gave me her perspective on it. And so, you know, I have her witness account and I have what I'm being told from other folks within the, the community was that. So to set the stage again, this city had been growing large and the city of Ogden had been bringing in people to clean up once a week on Thursdays. And so it had been this predictable thing and the, the unsheltered individuals uh, living in tents were not necessarily surprised by the presence of the city when they showed up. They assumed it was just another cleanup operation. They were gonna help them out haul away the garbage, all of that stuff. And what ended up happening was, you know, six or seven police officer uh, cars pulled onto 33rd and Pacific, blocked the road, didn't allow anybody in or out, and then proceeded to walk down the street and kick everybody out. Now, what I'm also being told is supposedly over the last two weeks, individuals in the tent city had been told that this was going to take place but based on the feedback I've been getting from patients and some other individuals, that wasn't the case, that this was a surprise uh, situation. And maybe perhaps they were told the day before, um, but that doesn't change the fact that these people were um, told to leave in the afternoon of the what was forecasted to be the coldest night of the year. And they were told one of two things. You can either gather what you can carry and walk off into the night. Or you can go into a building right there where they believed and they knew was active COVID. I mean, what kind of decision is that? And so, 
you know, understandably, most of them left. They dispersed and they started setting up camps in other areas and the police would go and find them and kick them even farther out. So all of a sudden we have a problem of individuals that had access to services that were living in a safe place and they were dispersed throughout the community. So now you have uh, unsheltered individuals going to more visible places like 25th Street and going back to these other locations where the police didn't want them there either and trying to stay. And so instead of having it all in one place where they could address situations and concerns, they dispersed them into the community again to who knows where. They wandered off. And uh, we still haven't figured out where the majority of them ended up. Yeah, I saw the next day, you know, the, the next day it started snowing and I saw um, uh, so a few individuals uh, right off of right on 31st and, and Wall set up in front of businesses there and I, yeah. and I just knew I knew that they had been dispersed from the place where they were and now they're right you know in front of in front of businesses and I'm sure businesses don't necessarily want them there and and like you said the visibility of the community is always concerned about about this issue so they really took a problem uh, that not many people were concerned about and made it much much larger and did it at yes. a time. I mean, this is something I, I'm sure the people that I, I think about the people living there and I've, I, I've, I drive, when I go to the liquor store, <laughs> I, I will drive down that road, uh, Pacific, because that's the road that the liquor store is on. And then I will turn down that, that street. And I, I, cause I've just kind of been watching, uh, watching the, the folks there and it just was an opportunity. It's on my way home. Instead of traveling down another road, I would just go down there and turn down. And so I'd seen it there and, and had had just kind of watched the individuals and it's obviously they felt like they had been given permission uh from the city to kind of live there and stay there mm -hmm. and did it through the summer months like yeah uh, so when, i, I kind of want to i want to re reiterate what you just said these people and the the unsheltered individuals living in these tents had been doing so for weeks to months and they've been moving back and forth to different sides of the street but the city had started coming in, openly helping them clean up. And so they perceived that as, as kind of a permission, which realistically speaking is the right thing to do. According to the CDC guidelines, that is the right thing to do, to assist them, to make sure they're okay, provide them with services. But the CDC specifically says, do not disperse this camp. Don't do it. You need to go in there, provide them with what they need. Um, and you know, in, in the end, it, it no wonder it was complete chaos. You know, the, the friend of mine that was working there on Thursday, she said it was it was utter chaos. People everywhere, people running everywhere, cops everywhere, um, you know, and this was a traumatic event for people that had already been traumatized for the majority of their lives. And they're picking up everything they possibly can and leaving as quickly as possible after having spent months living in these tents, believing the city was going to help them out. And then the city came in and cleared them out. And did it in the coldest time. Yep. Right. Like right as we're hitting our, are going to hit our coldest months where it's dangerous for these folks yep. to not have their shelters that they had kind of built there that help keep them warm. Yeah. They did it during, after the outbreak had occurred in the shelter where they had already made the problem, the, the government itself, Ogden City, had had made the problem worse by uh, not sticking to their plan that they had and and, made, and turned the Lantern House into quarantine zone. Yeah. Uh, and so they, the, the timing to me 
is inhumane. Yeah. And, you know, these folks are human beings with everything they have right there. And the yeah. things that they have there are important to their survival. And these, then to watch, you know, uh, my wife, Jesse, she drove by after and to watch a bunch of people in hazmat suits, grab your stuff. Uh, I mean, it wasn't hazmat suits, but a, a bunch of PPE and, and yeah. all this stuff, grab your stuff and break it and throw it onto a trailer and take it to the dump yeah. is, is just, it's just completely and, and, and utterly inhumane way, way to handle it. And one of the frustrations that we came across as, as my clinic is we were not told what was going to happen. There are community partners that work together in the city to care for the homeless individuals in our community. And we have tight relationships with these community partners because we need each other in order to be successful <clears throat> in providing care for these individuals. And some of those community partners were made aware and some were not. And my, my clinic was not made aware of this situation. If we had been, we could have been down there to help some of these individuals um, work through what, what they were experiencing. I, my clinic couldn't have stopped what was happening, but we could have at least reduced the trauma that was taking place um, that afternoon. We could have been down there. We're a familiar face. We built trust uh, they know who we are. They know that we care and we could have been present for it and we were not. And the fact that we weren't present for it most likely suggests to these individuals that we were part of it. And so all of the years of trust that we've used to build uh, with this population, I have no idea the kind of impact that it has. I don't know what kind of, of undermining of that trust has taken place in one afternoon. Um, you know, putting them in that situation, making an impossible decision, go inside, potentially be exposed to COVID or walk off into the night with whatever you can carry. Um, I, I don't know what impact that has. And I don't know if we've lost some of our patients forever, if they're going to go somewhere else or if they're just going to uh, not come in for services anymore. Um, and so the fact that community partners that have worked together for so long weren't informed of what was about to take place. Um, is inappropriate and wrong. We should have been. We should have been aware. We should have known, and we should have been prepared to help these folks. Another just definite, complete failure of the, you know, yeah. operation. If you're going to do it, you know, if you make the decision to do it, for one, I think at the timing uh, is dead wrong. Uh, to uh, the timing to clear the camp is dead wrong. Uh, but if you if you are dead set on doing it, then you better get the involved. The people that care the most about this community, um, you may get they, they. The reason why they didn't is because they didn't want the pushback. Bottom line, yeah. you know. But if you you got you got you got you have to be a leader in the sense that you're owning your decision, and you're coming in and you say, I we are doing this. It's going to happen because it, it happened anyway. It happened without you. Yeah. And they did it because they didn't want the pushback. They didn't want the feedback. But if you are going to do it, then own it up front mm -hmm. so that you can better help the individuals. Uh, you know, from what I have been told is too, the, the city council was unaware yeah. that, that this was going to happen. They, they were told that there was cleanups happening, that they were going to come in with social workers uh, yeah. to help find, find beds and that they were unaware that they were going to roll up with a bunch of cops and disperse yeah. and destroy the city in, in the way that they did. I think that's another failure to not be getting feedback from uh, your city council. Yeah. Uh, I hope the city council uh, is pushing back 
on that uh, and, and, and demanding better communication uh, with, with the, the administration because they should, they should be involved uh, in, in, those, in that decision-making process. Yeah, I agree. Um, the, this all kind of comes back to something that's a, a missed opportunity in my head. It's a missed opportunity to have worked with a number of uh, providers within the community to work with the tent city itself and maybe, maybe uh, uh, provide services while they're there that could have made things a little bit easier on them and maybe made things easier on the first responders that do come to that camp. So I will have to, I will say that I know that that large number of calls, 911 calls, emergency calls that go to those uh, tent cities, it, it does put a, um, it does put a little bit more of a burden on our first responders that, um, that can be maybe eased through other resources within the community. And I know that they said that they were going to bring social workers, but I, from what I can tell, I don't know who these social workers were. My social worker that works in my clinic wasn't told, so she wasn't there. Um, but I do recognize that, that police officers and firefighters and EMS folks have been spending an, a, a large amount of time in this camp answering calls. And um, I do, I, I do want to say that I recognize that part of this. And so there is a challenge that the city's had to face, but I think it could have been handled differently and it should have been handled differently. Um, so if you don't mind, I kind of want to read directly from the CDC website about their recommendations for um, encampments. Are you guys all right with that? Absolutely. Please do. All right. So I'm interested to hear that because like these, you know, if you're, if you're a mayor running a city uh, and you're thinking about uh, destroying an, an encampment, uh, you should probably uh, find out what uh, the federal government thinks and how they, how they would uh, go about doing that yeah, or so caring this for this camp. Directly from cdc.gov under their coronavirus recommendations, it says considerations for encampments. If individuals, individual housing options are not available, allow people who are living unsheltered or in encampments to remain where they are. Clearing encampments can cause people to disperse throughout the community and break connections with service providers. This increases the potential for infectious disease spread. Encourage those staying in encampments to set up their tents slash sleeping quarters with at least 12 feet by 12 feet of, feet of space per individual. If an encampment is not able to provide sufficient space for each person, allow people to remain where they are but help decompress the encampment by linking those at increased risk for severe illness to individual rooms or safe shelter. Work together with community coalition members to improve sanitation in encampments, ensure nearby restroom facilities have functional water taps, are stocked with hand hygiene materials, soap, drying materials, and bath tissue, and remain open to people experiencing homelessness 24 hours per day. If toilets or hand washing facilities are not available nearby, assist with providing access to portable latrines with hand-washing facilities for encampments of more than 10 people. These facilities should be equipped with hand sanitizer containing at least 60% alcohol. So, I mean, that, that's pretty cut and dry. Like you have access to these individuals, bring in some porta potties, you know, bring in some of those portable hand-washing stations, some hand hygiene stations, bring services to them, but don't disperse them. We had this many people show up in our shelter positive because they were in a tight space. You know, and the, the thing that you don't want right now in the middle of a, a pandemic is a whole lot of people inside. 
And while they're wearing masks and yeah, the beds in the dorms are spaced pretty far apart, they're still inside, they interact all the time. And that's why we had a huge outbreak. And so these folks are there, we can keep an eye on them, we can provide for them while they're there. Don't disperse them into our communities where one, they could be spreading the disease or two, they could be exposed to it somewhere where we can't get to them. If that I mean, sense. it seems like they did the exact opposite the exact of everything opposite. you just read. Everything yeah. you just read. And the, the interesting thing is, is like we saw that like they, they said here, you know, clearing encampments can cause people to disperse throughout the community and break connections with service providers. This increases the potential for infectious disease spread. We, we witnessed that, right? We saw people disperse. You're talking about this, the, the, the disconnection from the service providers. This was predictable. This was written down yeah. by the yeah. CDC. Like this is this is insane that they would come in on their own and make the decision to do this uh, against guidelines, against health guidelines when when they should be thinking this through in, in a much better way. I'm even more mad now after having you <laughs> read that all the way through that because they did basically everything uh, opposite the way they should. I understand these these situations are complicated. Ten cities are complicated, yeah. uh, and it's and it's difficult. But this was this was this was not a problem for Ogden City, other than they're coming in and providing some services, which is exactly what they should be doing to help. Yeah. And yeah. so this was not a problem for the public. Uh, it was there was a little additional burden on on the city for for doing some cleanup, but this was not a, a real big problem for the for the public. And they oh. took. It out on human uh, on yeah. human lives on individuals yeah. and didn't it was completely and totally unnecessary and not only unnecessary but completely against and now that you've you've read that completely against the guidance and the guidelines uh yeah. put out by the federal government and my frustration too is like it said in there that coalition partners within the community think about it you know proper leadership would have been to get in touch with somebody from each of these community partners and to start having meetings about, hey, what do we do about this um, encampment? All right, what role do you play in it? What role do you play in it? Hey, Midtown, what role do you play in it? We could have done this months ago. We should have done this months ago, but when the city disappeared and the health department disappeared on my clinic, when the outbreak happened, we knew we were on our own. And I'm not surprised that none of these kinds of meetings took place. They could have. And if they had, we could have done a coordinated effort to provide services, to follow the CDC guidelines, to not disperse these individuals, to provide them with sanitary options um, and make sure that they're okay. But instead of calling together your community coalition, those of us that work with unsheltered individuals that have been doing it for years, we're not brand new at this, you could have called us up, we would have had a meeting and we would have started to have some kind of plan put in place but instead, it just fly by the seat of your pants, and I guess we're tired of the the camp. So let's go break it up. Yeah, and it's really this is our our government at, at work. This is why it's important that we stay up to date with things that are going on in our city. Yeah, and and really look at you know these these are the things that happen when uh, our leaders are not, are not thinking uh, about these people as, as individuals, as humans, and they just will go in and, and make a decision that they think uh, is, is best in the moment. Uh, I think it's a real stain on Caldwell's legacy, frankly, 
and yeah. and it should be getting attention in the way that uh, that you're talking about it here. I hope more more people will understand just how big of a mess up it was. I, I've come to understand how much bigger of a mess up it was just by having this conversation with you. And so I hope we can uh, yeah. get that out there. But um, man, what do you think? What can we do to to help you to help the unsheltered? Is there anything, I mean, it's hard. What, what is, this has happened now. What, what can we do to help? So I, yeah, yeah. This is a big question and it's a question that I got before the pandemic and it's going to be a question for the next however many years, because there's, there's no easy answer to any situation. Uh, I would say, keep doing the things that you've done in the past, find community partners that need your donations, that need your assistance. Uh, there's a lot more out there than you may think of. Um, you know, people automatically think of the shelter or the DI or uh, um, the rescue mission, but there's things like uh, Youth Future Shelter that cares for teenage homeless kids in this community. Uh, there's things like Your Community Connection, which is uh, a shelter specific to help um, women experiencing uh, domestic violence. Uh, there's Catholic community services. These folks, these folks have a free food pantry. They they put together bags and bags of food and hand it out all the time. There's more than just the DI. There's more than just um, your local church. There's there's multiple partners within the city of Ogden that would benefit directly from your donations. And so, while there's not really anything you guys, any the general public really wants to have some kind of concrete answer to that question, and there's just not, right? Um, but the things that worked before are still working now, uh, and so find those community partners that align with your uh, with your passion. I guess you can say, what what do you find most important, and provide them with services, volunteer with them. Uh, donate uh, time or, or uh, funds to them, donate food to them. Um, those are the kinds of things that do make a difference. And we saw that with, with uh, the, uh, the Roy um, Community Fitness uh, community. You guys did a, a, a food and or just a, a clothing drive and you brought in so many clothes. And I can tell you that these clothes are gonna go directly to my clinic and we are going to hand these clothes directly to the individuals. You're one step away from that person that you might see on the street. And there might be a, an RCF hat or jacket on, on your local uh, uh, homeless individual on the corner. And that's fantastic. And so find those community partners that you know um, need your assistance and go ahead and work with them and donate through them um, and uh, in, encourage people around you to do it. Because again, individuals experiencing homelessness are not there because they're lazy and because they just don't want to get a job. We covered this in our first episode. There's so much more to homelessness that, that the general public doesn't understand. Get over yourself, all right, and just help. And so those are the best ways you can help. That doesn't, nothing's really changed. Those community partners are still the best way to get services directly to unsheltered individuals. Well, yeah, definitely. If you, if you didn't listen to that first episode, go, please go back and listen to that. Van, if you would, after this, send us some links to those services that you just provided. We will put those in the show notes so that sure. uh, individuals can click on that and find out what they can do to help you Dan, I'm sorry that you had to go go through that. And, you know, I know it's I know that it's 
you you're like, well, it didn't happen to me, but it did in in, in that it happened to people that you care about. Yeah. It happened. It, it dismantled a lot of the work that you've done for five years. Yeah. And so, rightfully so, I can I can hear and and sense your frustration with that. I'm sorry that had to happen. Uh, I hope that our community leaders will learn from their mistakes. I hope so. Uh, I I certainly, you know want to give space for people that make mistakes to be able to learn from them. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't condemn individuals for, 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 for their, for their singular actions, but they need to learn. They need to, they, they, he's got to, got to work right now to, to mend fences and build bridges back yeah. um, with people like yourself and people in the community uh, to, so that we can continue to serve these individuals. But the last thing we want is these individuals to just be dispersed, to be without services and without care. Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, those of us who care about anything about humanity know that, 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 that is not the way to handle this situation. So yeah. thanks again for coming on. Do you have anything else you'd like to, to, to tell those who are listening to this episode? No, I think we've covered it. Just continue to be aware of your fellow humans. Um, see them as people, um, as human beings and, and ask yourself how you would want to be treated if you were in their situation, in their shoes and ask yourself maybe why you haven't been able to step out of your own lived experience and understand why their experience is different than yours. Challenge yourself mentally, um, to see things differently than, than you have in the past and, um, approach it in a way that leads with kindness. Um, and you might, you might learn some interesting things about yourself and the individuals that you're providing services for. Thanks again for this conversation, man. I learned a lot. You bet guys. Yeah. Huh. It can yeah. I'm in the search for peace. Thank you everyone for tuning into our podcast. As are many of our episodes, that was a heavy conversation. So thank you for taking the time to tune into it. The goal of these podcasts are to allow you to step outside of your own learned experience and step inside the shoes of someone else's. Van gives us an insight into what those experiencing homelessness are facing and allows us to step into their shoes. You heard him kind of really tell us, take a moment and try to put yourself in their their shoes and, and things they've gone through in their lives. So please do that. Once again, thank you to our producer, Dan Martinez with Deep State Media and everything he does for us. Thank you, Decker Yazi, for our artwork and August the Great for our theme music. We will catch you guys next time. Community Spread is a Deep State Media production. It's produced by me, Kevin Lundell, and directed and edited by Dan Martinez.